Advent is a time where we celebrate the arrival and the return of Jesus Christ. Now, certainly in Isaiah, let me just remind you and put you in their sandals. Um, when we're reading about Isaiah, it's all looking for Jesus hasn't come yet, right? Uh, so probably 600 years-ish before the birth of Jesus Christ. So all of this is looking forward to the arrival of Jesus. But for us, we sit in that weird um, sort of double-stuffed Oreo moment where Christ has already come once, but he is going to come yet again and complete um, that deal. So we not only celebrate in Advent the arrival of Jesus, but we also celebrate, you know, come Lord now, Okay, it's not now, but we celebrate the second coming of Jesus Christ, his return, which is going to be just glorious, right? I've already told you, we're gonna, I'm going to be flying over to you, high-fiving you in midair as we're raptured up to the Lord, and he's going to come, and, and all revelation is going to happen, and Revelations is really a good book uh, for Christians, super encouraging. If you're not a Christian, what? It's a warning to get ready. Because it's there. Like, how's the world going to end? How is it going to take place? The Bible says the, uh, the Lord has put it in its place and it's immovable. The earth will always be here. It's just going to go through various, various changes. And when we talk about the admin arrival of Jesus, it really just kind of gets us geared up um, for that. When We're going to be looking specifically, look last week at, at hope. We're going to be looking at faith um, this morning. Obviously, it takes a whole bunch of faith. Think about that as Isaiah, to look forward to a Messiah that hasn't even come yet, right? We've got the full scriptures, which the, oh man, all those in the New Testament and the old yearned for this. Remember, even in the New Testament, they didn't have all the Bible. Why? They were literally living it and writing it down and making hundreds of copies. But we have all of Scripture, which is both encouraging and kind of convicting, right? You can just imagine the people of first century Christianity going, why? Why do you struggle so much when you have all of God's holy word, right? Especially in the place we are. But then it encourages going, wow, we got all of God's holy word. And when it comes to faith, there's, there's always two responses, right? When, when we look at life and it, as it relates to faith and, and things start turning out a little less than we wanted to, or when things start going better um, than we uh, want them to or expected to, we really just grab on, right? Um, it's like my kids when they're playing uh, video games and they're going and they're playing and they're like, oh man, I can't get to this part. Then the other sibling grabs the controller, rips it out of their hands and goes, here, let me do it. When we look at life and we look at the faith we have of how things are going to turn out, we really want to grab onto stuff. Let me take control. Things aren't going so well. Things don't look super great. I'm going to grab on and I'm just going to work harder and make this work how I want. And then maybe I'll ask God to bless what I'm doing. Or if things start going well, right? And we're faithful and we follow the Lord and we're just trusting in him and his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven and we're faithful and things start going well. Then the next thing we do is we start jumping in on the Lord and just start helping him out, right? Just helping him out. Like the Lord's like, oh, I'm so glad you're here to help me because what would we have done except done it perfectly, right? And we grab onto that and we want to do it. And, and probably in our American culture, that's a, that's a big part of it too, is that we look at things and it's going well and we want to grab on and we want to take that. And, and not just physically grab it and do it, but we can also emotionally, right? We want to start taking credit for things that are the Lord's. And, or we want to start blaming him um, for things that, that aren't his fault and aren't his consequence. So, so faith is incredibly important when it comes to people. Because um, your faith in something always determines your response, right? If, uh, you've heard the phrase, if you want something done right, what? 
Do it yourself. That's right. I just, I, I, I tend to, to kind of lean that way, right? If you're married, if you want something done right, have your wife tell you what to do, right? And that's the way you do it, and it works. And you laugh because that's your amen to the Lord. That's what that means, right? But you know, there's always these places where we seek for a source of how do I know what's right? How do I know the response to things that are going on? And, and our faith in Jesus helps. So let's look at the one thing. Here's the one thing. I, I would say this. I'm not even going to try to be cutesy tootsy, fancy schmancy. Put your faith in Christ alone. In all things. You watching online, put your faith in Christ alone. Everyone, that, that's where we go. That's how we dive in. That's how we live. And I'm talking every area of your life, right? Now, let's just join some scripture with this here and actually take how this is informed by scripture. It's a better way to say it. And look at it this way. What does what the Lord say? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? So you have to put your faith in your, your heart faith, your mind strength, your soul strength, your um, just all that you are, your body strength in Christ alone. You have to trust in him. Now he'll work through other people and you want to trust that they're going to do good and right things. But when it comes down to it, you want to put your faith in Christ. He alone is worthy of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Who else is? Well, uh, uh, all and completely in Christ him alone. He's the one that you can put your faith in and where it should be. Now, let me give a little context to this because this is how we really live. We really live day to day. In fact, if we were more literal, we just live day. That's all we live, right? No one lives into tomorrow. No one lives in yesterday, though some of us hang on to that and have hopes and dreams. But day to day, faithfully follow Jesus. So if you're going to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and he alone is, is worthy of it, then you're going to come over here and day by day and live faithfully. And, and how do you faithfully follow Jesus? Um, you seek and pursue him. And then when you catch him and grab him, you gladly submit. Right? And, and that's what, what, what faith is, is you're seeking, you're following, you're pursuing, you're, you're moving after. That's what we're going to find out in scriptures as we move that. But every day today, and that's all you need to take. And some of you, look, I get it. And especially this Christmas season, we need to be sensitive. Some people are just going to be taking it like minute to minute. You know that? You're, you're trying to come out of some sort of struggle. You're trying to make it through. Or maybe you're just in a great time where you're close to the Lord, but he hasn't revealed the next step, so it's minute to minute. But I want to encourage you every single moment, every single day to, to faithfully follow Jesus. Seek and pursue him. Run after him and faithfully follow um, as he puts uh, for us uh, and moves for us. And then gladly um, submit. Let me just tell you, Hebrews, you don't have to turn to it, but I'll tell you this. Hebrews 11.1, 1, you guys have probably heard this already. This is what faith is. That's what I love about the Bible. I'm like, God, what is faith? He's like, I've already told you. <laughs> Hebrews 11.1. 1. So you, you don't have to pray about what is faith because the Bible tells us, right? Sometimes when God doesn't answer your prayers, he's just not wanting to repeat himself because it's already in Scripture. So lock that away for your devotional life. But Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for that Christ will return or has arrived. And it is the conviction of things not seen that Jesus will return. So when you take faith and you apply it to the Advent season, you're like, it's the assurance of things hoped for. We know that Christ has come. It's historical. In fact, even in secular, historical, worldly, don't love Jesus society and academia, even if you try to tell them that Jesus isn't real, you'll get run out of academia. Now, you can debate whether he was Lord and Savior in those circles. He is. 
But you can no longer try to debate Jesus. There's too much extra biblical and biblical archaeological data that they just keep finding that Jesus was a real man who came up out of Nazareth, was in Bethlehem, even lived in Egypt for a while. So you can't debate that that exists. But, but faith is the assurance or the evidence of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, we're going to look at just a few verses here. We're going to look at verses 1 and 10 kind of together back and back because they really sort of fuel um, each other. So we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 11 uh, verses 1 and verse 10 in your scriptures because they really just sort of fill uh, each other out here. Uh, in this. So we're talking about the advent. Remember the coming of Christ. And here he comes. So verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And from the roots that shall bear fruit. In that day the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him shall the nations inquire. And his resting place shall be glorious. Now just to clarify. Romans uh, chapter 15 verses 8 through 13. Again, I love this because Nathan needs it. Nathan needs the idiot's guide to the Bible. That's what Romans is for me right here. 15, 8, 13. Because what if the root of Jesse means something else? In Romans 15, 8 through 13, it just says Jesus is the root of Jesse, right? It's just right there. They don't have to copy off anybody else's notes. I don't need the Cliff Notes version. It's just there. There it is. So you can look at that on your own time. But just so there's no confusion, when it's talking about the righteous reign of the branch, the root of Jesse, it's talking about Jesus Christ. The Jesus Christ who came from the virgin birth. The Jesus Christ who brought forth the fruit of salvation from all sin. The Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life who sits at the glorious hand of God. That's that sort of his resting place shall be glorious. And I've heard people try to twist that and go, see, Jesus died and he's dead and he didn't live. His resting place. Like, that's not what that means. Talk to any old person who's had a long day. Their resting place is that comfy chair in their living room, man. That's what that is. So when you talk resting place in scripture, you're talking about he's sitting down at the right hand of the Lord. So we're talking about this resting place and it's glorious. It's glorious. So I want to make sure that we're all on the same page of verses 1 to 10. When you're talking about that, Isaiah's looking forward into human history and saying someday the Messiah is going to come. He's going to be these things, right? You guys know Jesse is David's father. That's the King David. And I just love the word pictures that are here from the stump uh, of Jesse. Out of the root, it's going to bear fruit. There's a lot there. We don't have time to unpack that because I want to unpack some other things that are here. So first of all, I want you to see hope, which we talked about last week. Last week we talked about Jesus is the hope of and for all people. Jesus Christ is. And that's what you're getting, right? Um, Who shall stand? He shall come. So that's what Isaiah is looking to. We now know that he has come, he has stand, he's assembled. So, so that's the hope that's built into Advent, that Christ would come and he has. Now we're talking about faith. What is the faith? That root of Jesse, which I talked about in Romans 15, 8 through 13. It says that he'll stand as a signal for the peoples, um, for him, the nations shall inquire. Nations is oftentimes, though not always in scriptures, where they talk about just everybody, right? Uh, in the South we'd say all y'all. All y'all shall stand and inquire on Jesus, right? So you just throw that all out there. That's what this nations mean. Not like the United States or Germany or Puerto Rico. What we're talking about is all the nations of people. He shall stand and they shall inquire on him. Which I found interesting um, as it relates to the faith. What what does it mean that nations should inquire? So uh, your initial reading would be that they just ask him a bunch of stuff. 
which is what you want to do, right? After you've done whatever you've done in that song, I can only imagine after first seeing Jesus, when that song's over and you actually get into living in heaven and you're done hugging and crying and snotting in front of him, then you're just like, look, here's my inquiry. And, and that's the initial read. I'm just going to ask you tons of questions. What really happened to the dinosaurs? Tell me, right? How is this possible? How did he get in? Tell me, right? You start running through all this stuff. But when you look at the word inquire, especially in the Hebrew, here's what it means, which was just mess me up in a good way. So when it talks about they shall inquire, it, it's not that passive. It's actually very active and thoroughly faithful. It says that when you inquire, that you're going to seek Jesus with your heart and your soul, and you're going to pursue him in prayer and worship. Now, you, if, if you want to know that, that that reading is true, and I wanted to make sure that it was right, I just read through all the encounters in scripture where that Hebrew word was used just to make sure I was getting it right. So when it says you inquire, it's like close talking. You know those people who talk close? You can tell what flavor of mint's in their mouth. I mean, you're inquiring on him and you're like, look, I am seeking you. I am pursuing you with all of my heart, with all of my soul. And I'm doing it in prayer and I'm doing it in worship. And you get the contrast in scripture where, where people are doing it right and faithfully. And then you get the contrast where the Lord's like, stop inquiring me. You're doing it all wrong. You're not taking communion with man. You're not doing this. Or you are and continue to pursue it. So the coming Advent in Isaiah's day, before Jesus was even born, and what we celebrate is represented as Christmas, he's like, we are pursuing after Christ now and seeking him. And I, and I love that image, imagery. And it's not like a game of tag, right? Where Jesus is like, you'll never catch me. Because if he actually said that, you would never catch Jesus. He would just, he's so many, he's God. But when you pursue and seek after, you what? You pursue and seek in order to obtain. Probably the, the, a couple of good analogies that think of that. Ooh, here's a good one. So, end of junior year in college, set my sights on Rachel, who's now my wife. And when you want to talk about seeking and pursuing, was not going to give up. Got friend zoned at least once or twice. Didn't deter me. And you just go and you go and you go after. Right? Or, some of you that I've talked to, um, you work a day that's so hard that you forget to eat. Have you ever done that? And then you get home and you're like a cave person. You're eating out of the can. You don't even get the slices of cheese out of the bag. And you're just like, yeah, I'm pursuing all that I am. I'm just in it in order to get it. And it's so great. So Christ is like, look, the nation shall pursue after me. It's that. I am seeking. Nothing is going to stop me from this calcium square. And I'm going to consume it. So when you're talking about Advent and the coming of Jesus Christ, it's like, look, I am moving by faith to get him. Because I know when I find out where Christ is and when I reach him, it's going to be incredible because he's so great. Not because my pursuit was so awesome. I'm running all crazy and falling down all the time. He's picking me up, all this stuff. But instead that when I get there, he's going to be a signal for all people that this is who I should put my faith in. And that is going to be revealed. Now, when you talk about pursuing and seeking Jesus, there's, there's two people in this world of response. First of all, we, you have to talk about um, those who aren't Christians, those who aren't born again, those who not call him Lord and Savior, their Lord and Savior. Those are the folks that must seek and pursue Christ's salvation. And here's a great thing. It is so easy. It's so easy, right? You are saved by grace through faith, through no works of your own, so that no one can boast. Just call on the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Isaiah 45, 22, right? Just look to me, all you nations, and be saved. There's no other God who can do it. 
So if you're watching, listening, you're here, you find this years later somehow buried in the depths of a social media service and you're like, oh, what is this? I'm not a Christian. You just go, he is there and ready to be found immediately. You just call on him. You just pursue him now. That's the the first response of those of, of gathering that faith is to just say, here I am. There you are. Save my soul. Ask for forgiveness for the sins. It's going to send you to hell. And it's going to make this life a living hell too. Because you have no hope. And you put faith in things that will let you down all the time. Except everything but Jesus Christ. So I'd say to you, turn and run to him. And go to him and find him. And seek after him. Respond to him. The call that he has. Receive that free gift of grace. Because you are saved by grace through what? Faith. Right? Just believe. It's not all the brown haired people. Jesus doesn't want just bald people. He wants everybody to come, right? The nations. That's you. If you're alive and living and you're not a Christian, he desires for you to call him Lord, to be your savior. All right, let's look at, uh, well, and, and I would say this too, for those who are Christians, just to answer this question for you. What are some ways we can express our faith in Jesus Christ? I do want to recap this. We talked about receiving salvation if you're not a Christian, but then if you are a Christian, to seek and pursue Jesus Christ. The ever-deepening relationship in whatever arena of life you are, where you work, worship, live, or recharge, the ever-deepening relationships come with a constant pursuit and a seeking to know more and more and more. I didn't realize that was your nickname in junior high. I didn't know that you really hated when I made this food. You've been eating it for a thousand years. I've been making it for you. Thank you for now telling me, right? So all the good, deep relationships continue to seek and pursue. So if you're, um, I guess the best way to express our faith is either to receive salvation. And if you already are a Christian today, then I would say that you would seek and pursue him in greater depths. That you would seek to find what is there for him? Now let's look at verses 2, 3, and 4 as we talk about Christ. Because here's the thing. Um, probably probably the, the, the top surface level of people's response that they put their faith in is they're like, why should I put my faith in Jesus Christ? Right? To be like, I'm young, I'm strong, I'm smart. I've got all this, I've got all that. Any noun that you can think of, person, place, or thing, I've got all that. Or they go the other way, Jesus has never done anything for me. Why should I do that? And, you know, my teachers tell me this about Jesus and that about Jesus. And they're like, why why should I follow Jesus? You're about to drink from a fire hose of why Jesus is worthy of um, all praise, all honor, our glory, and why we should put our faith in. Because, by the way, there's no one else that meets the criteria of these two, three verses. And, And probably the reality is that people around, they don't actually know this, and they've never met anyone who's experienced this to be true. So you're reading this and hearing this in twofold steps. One, that there are those who need to hear it. And two, this has happened in your life, and you should be able to communicate it to others. So let's just look at some ways of why we should have faith in Christ alone. Because Jesus is just solely great. It's incredible. Uh, Verse 2. And the Spirit, this is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, okay? Some people say Holy Spirit's not in the Old Testament. Wrong. Here he is. He's showing up. And it's the Spirit of who? God, the Lord, right? This is the the Jewish name, the the Hebrew word um, for God. So all the trinities that work here in these verses, as we would call it. So 
And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him being Jesus. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord or the fear of God. And his, Jesus' delight, shall be in the fear of the Lord God. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, praise the Lord, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Thank you. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide uh, with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips shall kill the wicked. Right? So why, these verses, this is why we should put our faith in Christ alone. Why we should trust him for our salvation and fulfillment of our created purpose. You all know you were created for a reason, right? We exist, we say this around here a lot, we exist to bring God glory, which is praise and credit, and make disciples. That's why every person's made. Now you're going to method that out in all kinds of other jobs and skills and abilities and talents and things God's given you. But you exist to bring God glory and make disciples. That's your part. And in between those two things is Jesus saving souls. Allowing faith in people to be born in. So if we know that that's true and that's things, these are things in which we can celebrate about Jesus. He is... He's the embodiment of, or how we talked on Thursday night, or even last Sunday morning about these things come with him, right? With him. There, he, he's surrounded by that. It's kind of how it says at the end of Psalms 23, I'm surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. But look at these things today. I just, I want to reiterate these because these are, these are incredibly important. And we're talking, you know, God perfect level here stuff. Wisdom, right? Have you ever needed wisdom? Ever? Yeah. You need it now. So wisdom. I need it every day. As a parent, I'm like, how did my kid think of this thing to do and what do I do about it? Understanding. Right? Understanding. You're just like, ah, I just don't get, I do that all the time. I'm like, Lord, I don't, I, don't, I, I can't, uh, what I, I don't even know what to say in prayer. And he's like, don't worry, the Holy Spirit's got it. Jesus understands. He's been through it all. He knows. Counsel. Might. Need that sometimes. You ever face anything you can't face or overcome? Yeah, all the time. It's called life. And it's like, he's mighty of all mighties. You pick Jesus first for dodgeball. He's the best. That's who you want. Knowledge. He is the word. Read John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was what? With God. And the word was what? Was God. I don't even know if that was good grammar. But still, it's true. He's the word. And he's knowledge. He knows all of those things. And that's what I love about knowledge and wisdom is, is that he knows everything. He knows all of your days. Uh, all, the, all the hairs in your head, knowledge. But he also knows the wisdom, the, the proper part of it. He knows right when that hair needs to fall out and when it doesn't need to. He's got it all. He's got it all. Oh, I love this about Jesus. I thought this was a really cool thing. Um, uh, he's the embodiment of the, of the fear of God. I just, I don't, I probably don't think about and dwell on Christ enough that way, but that he feared God perfectly. Which is incredible that he knew how to, with, with reverence, honor the Father. And then it goes to the next one, which really will challenge you. He delighted in the fear of God. When was the last time you prayed that or sung that out or wrote that down or told someone over lunch, I delight in my fear of God. In that trembling reverence that, that he is the one who decides where my soul goes forever. But the Lord 
delights in that. You know, it's, it's cool. It, it's that, it reminds me of that story where um, Mary and Joseph lose Jesus for like 24 hours, which is such an intriguing story to me. Because like, how do you pray to God for that? Like, I lost Jesus, God. What do I do? How do I find, I need Jesus to find Jesus. How am I going to do this? And then they find him, and they're like, what are you doing? And he goes, don't you know what? I've got to be about my father's business. Just no fear from his absolute respect and love for his mom and dad and, and what they went through. But he's just like, look, I've got to live my life, even at this young teenage age, for who God is. It's incredible. Then he says he judges the poor with righteousness, which even in Isaiah's day and our day, that's not happening. And not only that, he decides with equity for the meek. Who's the meek? The meek are the people that let everybody else eat that last pizza pizza out of the box. Right? That's who the meek is. And he says, with equity, I'm going to take care of that. What does that mean? Everybody's going to get some pizza. It's all going to work out somehow. However he decides to do. Maybe it's not a slice, but it's something else. But with, with equity, he lets the meek. Uh, what does he say in the Sermon on the Mount? The meek shall inherit what? The earth. The people who will love and respect it the most. Right? Those people who are just meek in that. Then it gets into some hard stuff, but true stuff. It says he's going to strike the earth um, with his words. He has done that. We've got his holy word in scripture, inerrant and true. We've been studying it um, for thousands of years, and, and, and smart people have looked and, and unpacked it. But man, when that stuff came out, even in the Old Testament, it just, it divided. It's, it's divided. You were either for or against. There's no middle ground. So he's just like, look, it's going to strike the earth and it's going to divide it. Then he talks about um, how he kills the wicked with the breath of his lips. And, and some people really like to white that stuff out. We don't want to think about Jesus doing that. That the breath of his lips are going to do wicked. But let me tell you something. When a giant spider shows up in my house, guess what? That thing is hunted with a ferocity. And it is immediately destroyed and there is much rejoicing. Right? Why? Because the wicked evil thing's dead. Would it be more loving to just continue to let the infestation of evil and bad dark things reign over you and just have its way with you? No, it would not. The loving thing is over my lips. Let's kill that wicked thing and get back to grilled cheese sandwiches. Right? So you have to understand how loving that really is. Remember we talked about last week about God's steadfast love. Love sometimes says yes, but sometimes it says no. Love also brings about righteous good stuff, but it also rebukes the wicked. That is bad for you. Do not do that. That is bad for us. Let's not do that. So in this, Jesus is like, I am all of these things. So what does every person truly need in an increasing measure? As we look at Advent and as we look at faith, what does every person truly need in an increasing measure? A faith-strengthening relationship with Jesus Christ. A faith-strengthening relationship with Jesus Christ. You will never meet a person on this planet that that isn't true. What if I get to meet the Pope at the Vatican? What does he still need? A faith-strengthening relationship with Jesus Christ. What if you get to meet the president? Is that too close? Is that too much? What does he need? A faith-strengthening relationship with Jesus Christ. Keep the amens down. It's not time. I'm just saying. You run into your neighbors. What do they need? And then let's just bring it out from everybody else. When you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror, who needs a faith-strengthening relationship with Jesus Christ? Man, you do. We do. 
I do. And the crazy thing is, is Jesus is like, yes, let's have this deepening relationship. Remember, it's not hide and seek. Because what do you say? If you seek, you're going to find, okay, you're the worst hide and seeker ever. If you're not going to be giving you, okay, no surprises. Just here it is, right? Ask and it'll be given to you. So Jesus is telling us that's what they need, right? Remember Matthew um, 6.33, you're like, look at all these things about faith and all these things Jesus can do. But remember, Matthew 6.33 tells us this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be added unto you. So there's a million ways I could say it, right? Don't let creation swallow up the creator. Don't let the gifts swallow up the giver. Don't let what Christ can, can grant you be the one that causes you to turn away from him because you just want his stuff. But instead, only want him and who he is. That's what faith is all about. Now, if we know that we exist to, to bring God glory and make disciples, then um, based on this message, what can you do to become more like Jesus? And I'm speaking in um, to your life here. How can you live a gospel-centered life? First and foremost, salvation, right? If you are are not a Christian, then you need to be saved. And I would say that to anyone watching, listening, or here. If you don't know Jesus, your Lord and Savior, it's, it, it's, it's very simple to do. But that's the first thing. And if you are a Christian, man, remember. Remember your salvation. But let's talk about your worship if you are a Christian. When it comes to gospel-centered worship, seek and pursue Jesus Christ. In word, thought, and deed, go to Christ more and more. Go after him. Because your worship is, is, is all the time. We pursue him in all the ways. We, we're trying in an ever more increasing way here to create more of an understanding that there are a variety of ways in which we can worship God that are God-honoring and biblical. So that you will then what? Do them when you leave here. Right? This isn't, um, well, I don't want to say that. That can muddy the waters. But I would just say, seek and pursue Jesus Christ in all ways that you can. In your personal devotion, outside, your words, thought, and your deeds, usually you think things other than in your devotional time. And usually you do things other than your devotional time with the Lord. But, but go after Christ more and more. Go after him more and more. What more that he is. And we, we saw in verses 2, 3, and 4, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. Uh, when you're out in community, right, living the gospel-centered life so that people will get saved and live more fully like Jesus, um, live each day the Jesus way. Um, everything you face, um, respond like Christ. So, um, you know, this is, well, what we've done, like, uh, Rachel's gotten these, these, what would Jesus do bracelets? And we've been, she's been passing them out to the teens. Some of you might remember that sweeping cultural juggernaut of stitched bracelet that went, but it really is a good message. It really is a great message. So each day, what would Jesus do? And everything you face, respond like Christ. It's a daunting task. And you are going to fail, but that doesn't mean you should give up. Does that make sense? Faith doesn't do that. Plant the seed, come back around harvest time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, plant the seed, harvest time. So just live each day. And actually, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say in this board meeting? What would Jesus say at this gas pump? What would Jesus say to my neighbor? What would he do? And then do it. That, that's the place, right? This isn't just rhetorical. Like, just think all the time what Jesus No, do that. Do that. Um, service. Here's a great way to serve others. Um, give your faithful best in how you follow Christ. Let Jesus determine um, what you do. We see that in, in all of Scripture. That's why they're inquiring on Jesus as they're coming to him going, look, here's my, my faithful best. I, I am entrusting in you. Here's, here's all that I am, all of my time, all my talent, all my treasures. Just before you, you, Jesus, determine what I should do. And then just allow him um, to pick that out. I mean, it, it'd be crazy. If you let Jesus, what if you just gave him like an hour of your social calendar? 
It'd be crazy, right? What he would do? Like, Jesus, what would you want me to do here? He's not going to be shocked. You might be. But just, I don't know, just more and more giving those parts. See what you do. Your faithful best. Just follow him the best you can. Now it's more faithful than somebody else. Just your best. Uh, and then multiplication. Because the hope is that we, we want to do what we can to help others come to faith. So I would say this. Give others the opportunity to put their faith in Jesus Christ. So whether it's being saved by grace or a, a chance to be faithful, right? That's the two people on the planet, Christians or not. So give people a chance to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior and find forgiveness for their sins. And if you find out that they're only a Christian, rejoice with them and, and, and figure out a way that they can faithfully follow and, and pursue who he is. And just give them to it's And it, it's simple ways to be faithful. And, and I'm not going to do a huge list. I know the Holy Spirit will tell you what that is. But it's really a big part of being faithful. That's discipleship, right? You do life together. You give people a chance to make the right decisions. Because a, a person of, who's a disciple of evil, or as the Bible says, a, a child of evil, is, is those which pursue and go after the way the world says. Look, here's how we're going to say to do it. Well, what's the kingdom of God say? Let's do it that way. And give people chances to follow it right? And it's okay sometimes not to even give them a choice. And like in this, like if you come over to my house and we have dinner together, uh, we're going to pray over the food, whether you believe or love Jesus or not. And if you don't love Jesus, I may just stare at you the whole time during prayer. Lord, thank you for this food and for this sinner who needs you. No, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Say some people. If it's a relative, I would, because they would know me and they would freak out. Or if it was a person witnessing from other faiths. But anyways, uh, let's look at the one thing one last time. It's just going to make a lot more sense. Put your faith in Christ alone. There are many things you want to grab onto to try to strengthen your faith. Other than Christ, don't do it. It's not worth it. There are many things when things are going right, you're like, I found the secret sauce. This is grandmammy's recipe for good life. Nope. Don't grab that either. It's only Christ to do that. 